Amen. I'm beginning another series today <clears throat> that I'm calling the Freedom Series. And uh, <clears throat> not sure how long it's going to go, but we'll uh, kind of, I've got three main topics I want to cover over the next several weeks. And so um, I'm going to get to that. <clears throat> Andrew and I went on a, a date night last night. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, it's like, kids, see ya. There's the soup. There's the toast. We're out of here. And uh, anyway, we had a great time. And I was coming out, and I, I discovered that uh, we were dry, pulling out of Pinos, and man, it was just like heavens, the heavens opened up. Because I, when I drove across, I saw this brand new donut shop that just sits there. <laughs> I mean, you know, the angels were singing. So I don't know what happened to me, man, but as I pulled out, the car just wanted to go in there. And in we went and uh, indulged. Hallelujah. So, happy man. Uh, so you'll probably know when the freedom, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the sugar uh, high come, um, start coming off of that. But anyway, I want to talk to you about freedom today. And, uh, and you know, as I was kind of praying, truth, when it's served up, it doesn't always, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy to receive because it often it's cutting against the grain. Am I right, Kemp? It, cut, it cuts across the grain of our life because what we find is, is that it takes all of our life to receive the full revelation of God, the full, what Jesus did, who he is. And it just, as it gets in there. And so my goal over these next several weeks is to, I want, I want you to experience freedom. But to get through freedom and to get to freedom, we've got to look at some things. We've got to look at that. We've got to enter the truth zone. Not the twilight zone. That's where most of us live. You know, ding, 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 ding. I mean, you know. But the truth zone, where literally, you know, the, the, uh, the blinders come off our eyes. And we begin to see things the way God designed them to be. And, uh, and so I want to start with our first topic here. And uh, I want to talk about in this what I call the three-pronged uh, areas that I think we experience the most damage, the most struggle and I don't want to, I'm not going to let you know what the next two are, but today I want to talk to you about idolatry, okay? I want to talk about, that's the first one that uh, I feel that really robs God's people of the kind of joy they can really, really have. And so I'm going to, I, I, I kind of want to warn you, okay? I want to warn you that this kind of truth is going to be unsettling, Okay? I know exactly what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to hit that door and start running. You will, because I do. Matter of fact, I was reading it going, uh, Lord, no, I'm ready to move on. Where does it say the joy of the Lord? I'm going to move on to joy. But you know what? To get to joy, we've got to go through some things. We've got to, get, we've got to deal with some areas that is really, it's sucking the grace of God from us. And that's really kind of the subtitle of this series is the key to unlimited grace. And the grace of God is the power of God that helps us say no to ungodliness. This is uh, Titus chapter 2, 11. It helps us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to God's way. To say yes to God's way. And God's way is what will bring us the most joy and truth. And, and I'm taking this time this morning because I really, I just feel like I need to soften up your heart. I need to prepare you a little bit because I, I just think if you get into the mode that this is just another uh, sermon, then you're really going to miss it. You're going to really miss the opportunity, the privilege, more, more of the opportunity to really experience some breakthrough in your life. And I've really been, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for the church and just know that this is a season that God wants to bring some breakthrough into our lives. And I just love it when God just does that and I'm not expecting it. I love those miracles out of nowhere. That, you know, you just, you're just praying and, you know, we've all experienced that. Maybe when you first came to Christ, you were, maybe you were smoking and all of a sudden God just took that urge away. Boom. Not an awesome thing. I, I think that was a testimony, Lee. That was your testimony. There's so many that have experienced those kind of things. And those are wonderful. But I tell you what, that has not been in my walk with God over 31 years. That's not been my experience as a whole. Because I've gone and said, Lord, I'd really love for you to deal with this area in my life like you dealt with that one. 
where it was just like, boom, I woke up. Man, I'm free. I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel that heaviness. I don't feel that temptation. I don't feel, I mean, it's just like, I love when God springs the trap of the enemy. But I tell you what, the majority of the breakthroughs we ex- we're going to experience are going to come through the valley of choice and hard decisions. And they're not easy, but we've got to face them and we've got to push through because on the other side, engaging our will, experiencing truth in our mind, and letting that impact our emotions, will we experience the kind of freedom that I know we all yearn for? Another preparatory statement you've heard me say before, I don't know that you always get it, but I'm going to say it again, that when we come together to worship God, we're not here today. It's not my goal today to try to convince you that Jesus loves you. You've got to know that. And if every Sunday I have to convince you over and over and again that Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells you so, then you know what? We're going to be stuck in the book of ABCs. I read books to my three-year-old. And you know what? It bores me to tears. But I love, of course, watching Ben. I'm, I'm sorry, well, Ben, yes, but Andrew. I love watching my little buddy, you know, reading it for the first time and, and his expression. But I tell you what, folks, we're adults here. And what I believe church is all about is me helping you get to the place, that abundant life that Jesus died for you to have. And so I don't know what your experience has been, but, you know, I'm your pastor. I love you. I pray for you. Jesus loves you. Everybody say amen. Amen. That's not going to change. Amen. Amen. Today he loves you and tomorrow he's going to love you. Say amen. Amen. All right, let's move on to the sermon. Because if you walk out of here today and just say, oh man, Jesus doesn't love me. ABCs, you know. (laughs) <laughs> pop on top, top on top. Anyway, anyway, going on. So let's talk about this idolatry thing. I want to start with this, this Bible story that I'm just going to summarize because I've got so much on in my heart. I mean, you're going to be walking out of here with, with uh, boxes of, uh, what do you call that when you've got too much food? Um, take home. I mean, you're going to be walking out with stuff you, you can't eat today. But, you know, Joshua, you know, He's out in the desert. We love characters like Joshua and David, and they all teach us. But one of my favorite characters in the Bible is this little boy. His name is Josiah. And let me tell you a little bit about the story about him. What we find about, about Josiah is that he comes into his kingship by, by the fact that his, his father is assassinated. And he's just a little boy of eight years old. And he is set up. He is now the king of Judah. But he's way too young to be able to do it. And so they kind of prep him and they set him aside. But one of the things that is so unique about Josiah is that nobody got to him. Nobody got to him. His heart was just that, you know, um, somebody handed him the Bible or the the Old Testament. And he began to go through the the, the book of the law, the Pentateuch that was handed to to him, the the things that Moses had written and handed down to Israel. It was sitting there in a corner, and it was dusty, and right about 14, 15 years old, he opens it up, and he begins to read it. And he begins to realize, oh, we're not doing any of this stuff. And Israel is suffering. His dad was murdered. There is conspiracy. There's struggle. Israel is just being eaten alive. Uh, The ten northern tribes are long gone by the Assyrians, and all that's left is the two. And so Josiah is going through this and just kind of going, wow, how far we have come. And so as he gets older, because nobody's gotten to him, because he has this youthful heart that God just places this burden and truth comes in to this real fertile soil and he hasn't had time to really let, you know, sin get in there. He just says, you know what? We're going to do this. My forefathers did this. And they experienced all these wonderful promises. And so he just said, I want that. I want the good things in life. I want to experience the blessing of God. And so he started making these things called reforms. They're called Josiah's reforms. And so historically, what he did is he began making changes. He tore down the high places. In other words, the pagan gods that they were worshiping in addition to 
Jehovah, Yahweh. And so, because they thought they could do that, the Israelites would say, well, listen, I can go to church, and I can still do this. Oops. I can be a Christian, but I can still do this. I can be a child of God, a follower of Yahweh, and yet I can still worship this other God. And Josiah said, that's not what he said. He said, worship me only. And Josiah said, you know what, we've got to change this. And so he tore down the high places, one of the only kings to do so. A lot of kings before him, the good kings, they would do lots of reforms, but they wouldn't get to those high places. They wouldn't finish the job. They left a few things inside there so that Israel could continue to stumble along in half-truth and idolatry. But Josiah rises up as a, small, uh, as a young man, and when he makes these courageous changes, and can you imagine that? I mean, Josiah going into a board meeting <laughs> with all of these aged, you know, dignified, long, you know, uh, Levites and, and, and other leaders and just say, listen, your temple is a mess. I mean, it's the doors are falling apart. I mean, the brass and the gold and the silver is tarnished. Nobody goes in there to worship God. And yet what I read in here is that it was the very focus of all that we're to do and to be. What have we done? How far have we come? I want to see that temple cleaned up. I want to see that temple restored to its glory. I want to see God worshipped the way he was intended to be worshipped as a people. And so they must have looked at one another and said, what's going on here? He said, I'm the king, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And so I want the people, he said, you know what? I'm not going to take this money out of our coffers either. I want, you, I want the people to know they need to start donating to this thing, this cause. And the people did. They started bringing offerings. And they, as the offerings came in, they stored up the money and they'd be able to make the changes. It took a lot of years because that's how far that temple had fallen in disrepair. Now, what I want you to see in all of this, I mean, you can feel the allegorical sense here, can't you? I mean, the symbolism that's taking place. I mean, you know where I'm going as I'm telling the story. That in the very same way that we as a culture, as we as a people, we've let fall in disrepair some of the things that God wants us to do and to be. That we've allowed vines to grow up and block the places where light could once shine into our soul. That we've allowed the very things that were supposed to bring forth the glory of God out of our lives, we've allowed them to get tarnished and no longer to reflect the light of his glory. We've allowed that disrepair because, see, the truth is we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is no building. This is just a sheep shed. You know, that's what I call it. It's just a sheep shed. It's a metal building, concrete floor. We make it nice as we can because, you know, it's nice to be cool. It's nice to have, I mean, temperature-wise, it's nice to have what we need in order to be comfortable to worship God. But, man, it's just a place to prepare the temple's to go into the community and be that salt and light and to shine forth the glory of God, to, to, to be so polished up that, man, when the light of his presence f- shines upon us, that we reflect it. So, man, how did that decline come to Israel? Well, what we find is they just forgot God. Over time, it's easy to do. And it wasn't at any point did somebody stand up and say, I don't want God anymore. No, 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 that, that didn't happen. Just like people, no, I mean, I guess it happens from time to time when people just say, I'm angry with God. You know, he hasn't blessed me enough, and so I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to do I mean, I, I suppose that does happen. But for the average Christian, I think what happens is what happened to Israel. And that just over time, what happens is we let the things that are the most uh, distracting things, good things in some cases, begin to take away the passion of the best. And see, we want to talk about idolatry, and I need to get into this, because the the truth is, that's exactly one of those three-prong attacks that the enemy uses to keep the people of God from being what they're called to be. And so it's somewhat of an uncomfortable look into your own soul today, because my appeal to you, once again, 
is not to try to convince you that Jesus loves you, but that he's got a way. And that if we follow that way, we will experience the peace and the kind of joy that he meant for us to have. And yet I see so many Christians that are just struggling and, and, you know, and they're battling and they've come to just kind of say, you know what, this is the way it is, you know, that's the way it is. There's nothing better. And we kind of spiritualize it away that, oh yeah, it's all about warfare. It's all of this. It's all of that. And when the whole time God is just saying, hello, McFly. You're not getting this. He said, if you follow my ways, you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed when you come, blessed when you go. I will bless you. That is God's intention for us to experience that blessing. So I'm, I'm going to do, do a heart check here real quick. Boop. Jesus loves you. Hasn't changed in the last five minutes. Okay, let's get back into it. So what is idolatry? Well, let me back up here, because I, I want to make sure you get this. The Israelites' central issue and their ongoing struggle was idolatry, pure and simple. God warned them. He said, don't let those other nations in. Don't let the teachings of the pagans into your life. Don't intermarry with them. Don't, you know... Don't stop listening to me. I mean, I know this is a double negative, but listen to me. But if you don't, over time, what's going to happen is you're going to get more and more choked off. And you're not breathing the kind of free air that, that Jesus wanted you to, to have, that God wanted you to have. The Israelites experienced it in their crops. They experienced it in their own personal freedoms. What ended up happening is the enemy came and stole from them their crops they lived in fear. Mm. Remember that one. So that was their ongoing struggle, and it brought so much trouble, and then eventually it brings forth their demise, where the whole, the whole nation is, is just taken away. So idolatry is really the sin of nations. And when you look at it that way, it's, it's so true. That it's because... When idolatry is embraced as a culture, it creates such a wheel of stone that's almost impossible to stop on your own. And so that's why I call it the sin of nations, that when a nation embraces idolatry as a whole, again, it can, be ca it can cause that nation to go into decline, and the people that live within it are just, in a, you know, they just, it, it can just overwhelm them. You see that historically. And see that when you study nations. And, and I believe as a nation here in the United States that, man, we're, we continue to ride the very edge of this thing. And we may have already fallen all the way in it. To the point where now we as believers, we got harder and harder decisions to make. And when Josiah stood in front of all the people and said, today we are making changes on behalf of Yahweh. From here on out, we're going to serve the, like Joshua said, for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And we made those declarations. The people had to make some hard decisions because some of them had intermarried had children. Some of them had little, little uh, asterop holes in their front yards. Little, little little other gods, little foreign gods that they set up because, you know what, I, I love Jehovah, but I've heard that if I do this, I'll get a little bit more. That if I just adopt this philosophy, and, and I find that syncretistic, it's what it's called, syncretism, of adding the, the good of every kind of religion out there and then putting together this kind of super religion. See, that's what they believed that they had. And, and if you talk to anybody at that time, they would have said something like this. And tell me if it's familiar. Well, we've evolved. We've grown in our knowledge. We know more. Now let's switch to modern times. You know, science is helping us. Technology. You know, we're so far beyond those archaic views, those moralisms, those simplicities. That, oh man, I mean, the whole idea of biblical morality... Oh, so outdated. Are you, you hear what I'm saying? 
You, you know it's out there. And it's so easy for us to get drawn into it. You can feel the vacuum of the well-dressed, the intellectual, the Harvard and Yale grads, the, the Georgetown and, uh, uh, you know, Fifth Avenue bunch, the, the intellectual elite who get on television and they try to, they sing and, and the, the honey potion goes into our ears and we just think that, yeah, if we just buy into that, that we're going to somehow, again, grow into this kind of super revelation. But I'll tell you right now that the things that Jesus said and what God said, and of course, Jesus only, he fulfilled the law. He didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it and then said, now, go and do likewise. I mean, he said, love your brother as yourself. And it was all summed up. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And then love others as yourself. He said, that will fulfill the whole law. But then we find, as Paul writes, he breaks that down for us, and, he just, and you find him dipping back into the, the Old Testament. You find him dipping back into the law to find the moral aspect of the law, not the sacrificial or the, um, what they call the ceremonial part. I mean, that was taken care of on the cross with Jesus. So we're, we're forgiven, we're washed, Jesus loves us. He said, but now you need to walk in the ways of God that you might continue to experience blessing. And another fact check here, another check your soul, is you know what? I could get up here and yell at you and scream at you and try to force you into doing what is good for your life, but that never causes you to make a personal choice. What I want to do is I want to I show you that there's something better. That again, his favor for you will never change, his love for you, but what he wants you to experience here is an abundant life. And when we have brought things into our life, lies, and when we're, we're believing things, it's, it's going to rob us of the grace we could have. The Bible says we forfeit the grace that could be ours. And so again, coming back over here, Jesus loves you, hasn't changed in the last five minutes. There's something better for you to have. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything that is placed before God in our devotion, our affections, our trust. That's modern-day idolatry. You see, in the Old Testament, they worshipped images of gold and silver and wood, carved images. And so when you think of idolatry, we all kind of think in those terms. But you know what? It never was the object. It never really was the object. It was the replacement. It was the fact that something else got in the way. And so the else, the other thing, could really be anything. Not just wood, not, not just, you know, a silver object. But it's anything that's placed before God in our devotion, our affections, our trust. Old Testament idolatry consisted of worshiping those man-made objects, right? They, they represented a God. And really, what we find is that every person created on the earth is going to worship something. It's one of the arguments, the non-biblical arguments for the, the proof of the existence of God, is that every single culture worships something. And it's amazing. You study anthropology, you go and you dig, and every culture has been born to worship. And that's one of those things to say that, man, yeah, because we've been born to worship our Heavenly Father. It's just so many, they don't know him, and so what do they end up doing? Worshiping a rock. They worship an animal. You know, it's animism, it's shamanism, it's all the other isms that, that replace who God is. Because there's that innate sense. I've got to worship something bigger than me. There's got to be something or someone responsible for what's going on. That's hardwired. Hardwired for it. So God, when he got his people and pulled them aside, one of the first things he did is to say, listen, I want you to prosper. I pulled you out of slavery, and I brought you out into this desert so that I could teach you for many, many years, I want to train you, and I want to get this into your heart. The very first two commandments. 
that you will have no other gods before me. No graven image to be made in my likeness. It's amazing that the Israelites, man, they're not out there a few weeks. Moses disappears for a little little while. What do they do? They they grab Aaron and say, make us a golden calf. We need to worship here. We, we, We know we need help, so let's just make a golden calf. Man, God just parted the Red Sea. You know, he gave you water in the desert. He did miraculous things, and you still pull away from him. Well, it's just the condition of our lives. It's a condition of the the sinful heart and why we absolutely need God. But God just wanted to say, listen, from the the get-go, I want to let you know that you don't need to have any God before me because it will rob you. You will forfeit the grace that could be yours. So idolatry is really twofold. It's replacing God in our heart It's replacing it with a thing, a belief, a function. It can be really anything that replaces God and his his number one focus in our life. And that's important for you to get. Because I think what happens is everybody just goes right past idolatry. You know, know, that's one of those windows while you're walking down the street and you look in there and just say, yeah, that has nothing to do with me. A lot more than you think it does. A lot more. And, and so, in other words, to really think and to really examine your heart, because really what often surrounds, and this is almost prophetic right now, that really what often surrounds that area of idolatry is a thick layer of denial, a thick layer of self-protection, a thick layer of identity that we've produced without God. In order to, you know, and it's kind of like a tumor, how it grows up inside the, you know, the body. A tumor gets in there, and it begins to grow, and it walls itself off. And yet it, it's still cancer, and, it, and it's growing. The rest of the body moves on. And, I mean, if I were talking like the body, the body would say, hey, man, there's a foreign object here. It's not good. Moving on. We're going to keep the rest of the organs moving here and until, of course, it attacks and begins to metastasize, then, you know, it's a much more difficult thing. But if you think of idolatry being like that tumor, then, you know, it's in there and we need the MRI of God's Holy Spirit to come and find that thing, identify it, so that we can take truth and mm, laser it. And, you know, nobody, I mean, that's a very uncomfortable thing to talk about cancer. We've had a lot of people healed of cancer, cancer, thank God. But idolatry is just as bad. It's a death of a different kind. It's an invasion of lies that we either knowingly or unknowingly, you know, kind of let go. Let me, you know, read what God actually said there in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt Nice little reminder. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. So folks, when we see that kind of thing happening here, we don't need to to go into our anthropology classes. Now, I'm not saying you go out and be some kind of a weirdo and, you know, jump up and down, freak out whenever you see a foreign, foreign god like that, but you need to identify it. You need to say, that's an example of a culture that is worshiping Satan veiled in a piece of wood. It was a counterfeit. And God's saying, don't do that because there's one waiting in the, in the wings who will absolutely step in and try to convince you that that's where the power is. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Uh Uh-oh, this is really key. Because God wants every bit of us. And when we've let other affections and other things get in the way, now again, I'm I'm jumping back and forth to the Old Testament wood objects, I mean, wood, gold, and silver, and things like that, to modern day. So follow with me here. But when we take something 
And you're probably, you know, what are, you may be wanting to know, Pastor David, get more specific. Well, it could be a relationship. It could be a person that we're worshiping and giving our devotion and attention to. And it, it, it distracts us from God. So young people, you know, as you're getting ready to choose your mate, make sure that that mate fears God as much as you do and that you both are willing to set that relationship down for the sake of him and that you worship God together. And then that relationship makes a lot more sense and God will bless that relationship. But we find over and over again that when that relationship is built on selfishness and it becomes you know, idolatrous in the sense that maybe it was built on just the flesh, you know, just desire, lust, something physical and not spiritual at all, in many ways that thing is kind of, you know, it's an idol. And anything that we make an idol in the end will be destroyed. Just like that golden calf. Earth swallowed it and opened up and swallowed it down. So God's a jealous God. And it goes on to say, punishing the children from the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God was saying, listen, this is a real key. When you worship me, you'll be blessed to the third and fourth generation. But if you allow anywhere along the line, you know, something to get in the way, because see, what we're going to do is we're going to fine-tune this. Because some of you might be getting out of this right now to say, well, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm the product of the third generation of people that have gone to church and love God. And so I'm good. I don't have any idols in my life. Not so fast. Not so fast. Because what I'm appealing to you today, and, and, and just get it out there, is that I think a lot of Christians are still walking in idolatry in a modern form. And they love God, but they've got other things on the shelf. And those things are there, and they're shiny, and they're gleaming. And again, going back to what they possibly get, it could be a relationship, could be money, it could be looking for identity, it could be anything that replaces God on the throne of our hearts. And that's where it gets a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? That's where we start to shift in our chairs and... That's when we don't want to look at it. But I tell you what, probably a lot more there than you really think. And as a result, we're being robbed. Because anytime we worship anything other than God, then we forfeit the grace that could be ours. We forfeit the power of God to bring the kind of joy and breakthrough and blessing on those things. See, what the Israelites tried to do is they said, well, listen, we can worship, we can put, have feet in both realms and still figure out how to bless our land. And really, I mean, think about it today. We're asking God to bless our land. And yet we still try to bypass God by making, you know, genetically modified food. We try to do everything to bypass and to say, well, there's something wrong. And so they keep coming up ways, up, up ways to try to flank, outflank God, to try to move around God, to move around his ways. You know, we're moving around his ways in certain moral issues today. Are we not? I mean, just because we're being convinced over and over again, just because 10 people walk up to me and say, you know what, try it, it's good. This poison, it goes down smooth. But, you know, the effects are not that bad. And for us to stand up and say, you know, to things like the kind of morality that we're experiencing when it comes to marriage, the kind of issues that we're dealing with today, you know, when it comes to abortion. You know, Thursday night they had the uh, banquet, which I, I couldn't attend, I wasn't feeling well. But I tell you, when I have been to those banquets and I have marched on Washington a couple of times in my life, I think to myself, where do Christians really stand on this issue? And yet, you know, we'll give our money, we'll give our time, but where does really standing for life, I mean, where does it really affect, how far, or how deep does it go? Is it just skin deep? Is it just wallet deep? Or is it something you really believe 
And it affects every decision that you make. Affects how you look at this life, how you look at a government, how you look at how you vote, how you live your life. I mean, sometimes, folks, I just really want to call that out and just say, you know what? That's idolatry. And idolatry lives, it begins to create a, 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 a hypocrisy that is eating our lunch, and we know it not. Most worship is done to appease. When we think of idolatry, it, it, it's, we do that to appease, to honor, and to attract favor. So there's a motive in, in, in getting idols into your life. Israel, what they did is they just kind of gave up on God. It was like, it's not coming fast enough. I want more blessing. I want it now. But then they, hear, they heard that the next nation over have these Asherah poles. And at first, it was just like, well, how bad can that be? I mean, let's get more. Let's just have more blessing. Doesn't that make sense? One God, how's it bad to have two? Get twice the power. That is the motivation right there. When God says, nope, only one, it's all you need. But they invited it in. But what the, the small print on the contract was for the Asherah poles was, well, you need to have sexual intercourse with the priestesses. Because that's how you connect with Asherah. And so they're like, hmm, that's kind of weird. But if that's what you got to do, I'm all in. And that's what the Israelites did. And then it got worse. Then the, the Baals came in. And then, they remember you've heard me say that before, they created those big dishes and they'd heat that thing up. And they'd say, all who want to come, be blessed and bring your kids. And when they got there, they said, okay, you want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. Then throw your firstborn on that heated up brass, brass bowl and sacrifice them to Baal. And at first they were like, whoa. you imagine how much? Moral degradation has to take place. Do you imagine how many questions, how many, how many walls of emotion you have to get through to throw your little baby that you love on that altar? Can you imagine what has broken down inside a soul to get to that point? I mean, it would absolutely crush me. I mean, just I'd tell Jamie to, to kill me. I just, just, just put me out of my misery if I ever did that to my little buddy or to any of my children. But isn't that taking place today? For every little baby that's thrown up on the altar of convenience, sacrificed in the name of getting myself out of a struggle. Are these, not, are these babies... I mean, you know, we can argue and talk about that all day. I mean, you can sit down with people that have thought it through. I've sat down with Christians before who look me in the eye and just say, man, overpopulation. I would just say, stop. He said, be fruitful and multiply, and he would take care of the rest. There are certain things that God tells us. He says, you know what? You're not going to figure it out because I'm God. And if you'll just trust me and believe me, if you will protect the morality of your life, he says, don't give your body to someone else outside of marriage. And yet, I, again, I still talk to Christians who think that's okay. And I'm, again, back over here, Jesus loves you. He's not going to stop loving you, but he wants to bless you. And I'm telling you that when we worship these things, when we break the, the, the things that God wants us to experience, then we're forfeiting the grace that could be ours. It doesn't, you know... I, I just think that a lot of pastors make a, a bad decision to get up there and, and start yelling at you. And I'm sorry, I've got a little emotion here, emotional here. But I, that start yelling about the fact that those two are connected. They're really not. Because I've known Christians who've had abortions. Now, and, and, and if you've had abortion, you are forgiven. Jesus loves you. He'll forgive but to turn around and just say, well, he'll forgive me and just go ahead and do it? Mm -mm. And I've known some that have. By having a God that they can see, the issue of trust and faith is avoided. And there's no focal point. When we think of what idolatry did, 
is it bypassed relationship. It bypassed the uncomfortable sense that God must live in here than just out there. Why does religion happen? Because if I can keep it a soulless, impersonal experience, then I can deal with that. I can go, if I can just go to church and never have to change, well, that's some nice Christianity. If I can just sing the songs, dance around a little bit, come to an occasional luncheon, go to a small group from time to time and never change, well, that's some good Christianity. That's easy stuff. But that's not what Jesus died for. And that's... And the truth is, if we're walking in that, if I walk in that and you walk in that, it's not going to last. Before long, your soul begins to get super thin. Super thin. And what you end up realizing is the conflict of hypocrisy in you. And what ends up happening is the things that we worship, the things that we've replaced God with, they begin to destroy us. Matter of fact, those things usually get destroyed. The only thing that we can worship that doesn't get destroyed is God. Because he says, I am the only one who can be worshipped. God required his people to worship him without a focus point. He said, just believe. He said, I am. So you can find in the Old Testament that God was, was, was training them to worship God without an image. To get to the point that when Jesus came, then all of the faith and all of the belief in that which they could not see would be transferred over to the son who they could see. But even to this day, we don't see him with our physical eye unless he showed up to your house. But he says, now I'll indwell you by the Holy Spirit and you'll always have that confidence of knowing that he's there. And that's important. And it's a wonderful gift. Paul says it. He says, the Holy Spirit is a deposit to remind you of that which he did on the cross is good to go. But if we offend that Holy Spirit over and over again by letting other things in, when God says, no, no, I, I need to be the only one, then in time, again, our, our soul grows thin. Again, idolatry was despised by God and was considered utterly sinful. Idolatry for the Israelites represents that continued battle to completely trust in God for everything. And that's so true. God taught them that they may not know what was over the next hill. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know if there was going to be army to try to wipe them out, a plague that would go through the camp and they'd all be gone. They never knew what was going to happen. And yet we just like, we just like them, we want to know. I want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I'll tell you what, and I'm not against insurances. I'm not against all of those things. I think that's wisdom if it's provided. But the truth is, my times are in his hands. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'd sure love to know that what's going to happen to all my kids and be able to check it off. Are you with me, parents? I mean, you'd love that, but we don't get it. Why? Because we need to trust in him, to put our hope in him, him and him alone not in anything that rep can take that place. Whether it be something of our own creation, our identity, things that we can do with our hands. See, we presume on the future, folks, when we start to build things, anything that we think is going to guarantee our future. And that's not true. See, that's why tithing, and that's why belonging to the church, that's why those are such powerful ways to keep us in balance and keep us in check because when you go solo when you're flying solo out there and you're just i mean you start believing some kind of strange things i mean i mean even for me paul warned timothy said watch your life and your doctrine closely because those are the two things that go to seed real quick my life begins to wander off the path and I start believing some weird things. And it's only the Bible and it's only brothers and sisters in Christ that will keep us on. You're sitting in a small group and saying, yeah, man, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm considered doing this and doing that and it violates a biblical principle and you've got a brother or sister who loves you, they might just speak into your ear and say, hey, man, can we talk afterward? 
I'm sure you've done that a time or two, huh, Dwight? And just pull them aside and say, hey, man, I love you. You're my brother. We've been hanging together. But you don't want to do that. That's not biblical, huh? That's not biblical. Bible teaches that that will hurt you in the end. You know, I was talking to a person recently. Well, I don't have time to get in that story. Uh-uh. But it, I'll tell you what, there's so much. There's so much. But idolatry is bypassing God's plan, his ways, in seeking some other avenue to get what we want. And that's ultimately what idolatry is kind of the foundation of. Because, like I said, nobody just starts off and say, hey, I'm going to go worship an idol. No, nobody starts off that way. Nobody, you know, gets into it. What, the motive, what brings us to that place is we think, I need something else. I need something more. I need something more colorful and exciting. I need, and, and I know what God says, but gosh, there's got to be another way. That's just exactly what the Israelites did. And when we try to bypass truth, then we're going to get into trouble. You know, that's what debt is all about. When we get into debt with our finances, which, you know, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was, was so awesome because he broke it down. And he said, you know what? The key to your heart is knowing what you, you do with your money. He talked about money so many times. And, you know, that's why pastors do it all the time. They get up there. So don't pick on pastor. For example, man, I go to church and talk about money all the time. Well, that's what Jesus did. Because he knew how critical it was, that it was a very obvious expression of the priorities in your life. I mean, you look at a person's checkbook, you know what they worship and what they do. I mean, if you've got 3,000 tools in your house and you're in debt up to your ears with all that, guys, then that tells me, we melted it all down, we could shape it into a little bowl or something like that. Ladies, I'm not going to let you off the hook. There's certain things, man, that we, you can let into your, into your life. You can begin to worship that, that image that is you. And you look into that mirror, and you open those magazines... And we want it to make it shine. And, and not to say, I mean, I, I just want to preface that to say, man, girls, I mean, ladies, go for it. Make yourself look as awesome as you possibly can. And don't judge anybody else who does or does not. But when you're standing in that mirror, if you're doing it to please your husband, great idea. But if you're out there trying to please something else or someone else or that you don't feel like you measure up and you're spending an inordinate amount of time on, on making that all happen, that ain't good. And what's so funny is when people give themselves to that to try, and trying to improve their lives apart from you know, just settling and just saying, you know what, God loves me the way I am. He created me this way. Matter of fact, the most beautiful thing about a person is their smile, is what comes from their soul. Am I right? I mean, you can have a person that, that may not have been invited, you know, to be a part of America's next top beautiful lady, whatever they call that thing. You may not have got the invite, but I tell you what, if you got the Holy Spirit and you're full with him, I tell you what, that is the thing, man, that, that I as a man, I noticed the first, in, first thing in a woman is, man, and I'll tell Andrew, I said, man... Her face is just so full of joy. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. You don't look at anything else. It's just like, wow, that joy, that peace. Man, that's the thing that really is most beautiful. And when we spend all this time, I believe it's an idol in our nation, and it's out of control. And our poor young girls, the diseases, the eating disorders, all the different things, the psychological, psychosis, the, neuro, the, the neurotics, things that happen as a result of being so deep in that, it's an idol. It needs to come crashing down to save our young girls. So, I'm over time. And man, I didn't even touch a third of what I got here. Uh, so, you know what, I didn't start, Tate asked me, he said, Dad, how many weeks is this going to be? I said, no clue. So we'll just get it when it's, I mean, we'll, we'll finish it when it's done. I, and I hope, you, I hope you're okay with that, all right? Because I, you know, I, I just got to be honest with you. Folks, I am not a three-point sermon and out kind of guy. I'm just not. 
I try. You know, how can I take idolatry and give you three points? Okay. It's bad. You know, or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but let's close this up. And you know what? Just give me another minute here because I just dragged you through the, the, the gunk. Let me, let me pull you out <laughs> before you leave. Can I, just, can I just dangle something in front of you this morning? And that is, man, oh, there's so much grace to be had. And it's amazing how it can just come flooding in. It just kind of reminds me of opening up that valve. And just that grace can come flooding into our life when we remove those things that distract us. How many times has it happened to you? When you've had that little personal breakthrough, maybe a great devotion, or maybe a, a message like this spoke to you, or something happened, and you, just, and, and, and you got it right, you got it straight, and that flood of grace and peace that came over you. You know what I'm talking about. God wants us to have that all the time. Not go weeks and months of feeling confused and lost, wandering around. And I'll tell you, it's because you followed the tale of some idol out the door. You followed it. And you can't do that. But God has so much in store for us. We'll just hold on. So this is your homework for this coming week. I want you to begin to ask God. As David prayed, Lord, search me. Psalm 139, Lord, search me. Try me. Is there anything, are there any of those little idols inside me? Are there, is there something in my life that I'm replacing? Is it, it's a wrong priority. We're going to get into this a whole lot deeper. And I mean, this is all just introduction, but let me, it's something that has replaced God in your life, in your affection, in your time, okay? Because it could be in the form of a fishing pole sitting in your hand. It could be, it could be you. It could be another person. It could be... You know, whatever you're spending an inordinate amount of time that has replaced the affection that belongs to God. Ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. Now, you may, afraid, you may be afraid to do that or say, well, I'm not even doing that, Pastor David. Well, I love you. I'm for you. And, you know, we're all going to respond to the Holy Spirit in, in our time. But I'll tell you what. When God is moving, that's a great time to make the move. When God is speaking, that's a great time to, to respond. Am I right, Emma? If God is knocking, shouldn't we open the door? He's knocking on the door of your heart today. He wants in. And he wants you to give those things up. He's not coming in judgment. He's not coming with punishment. I mean, we don't live in that anymore. We can come to the, the mountain of God, boldly to the throne of grace. And he says, we walk in the door with these little idols in hand. And he goes, you know, I'd love to fill your hand up with some grace, but you need to drop those things. Can't leave with something more until you drop what's in your hands. So let's stand up this morning.